be seated. And David said, uh, said, Solomon, my son, is young and tender, and the house that is to be builded for the Lord must be exceeding magnificent. I just, I love that, that terminology. It's not just exceedingly great. It's not just magnificent. It's anything exceeding magnificent. It had, it had to be just almost awe-inspiring uh, to be able to see particularly the very first temple that was built. The, there, it was tore down. The second one, uh, when the second one was built, the, the young men... It is red. Just click it once. Perfect. <laughs> Thank you. You all hear me now. Anyway, <laughs> when the second temple was built, the young men rejoiced and the old men cried. Because the old men remembered what, what the first temple looked like. So they did a great job on the second temple, but this, this first temple was exceeding magnificent. When Cheryl and I had the opportunity to go to Israel, uh, we actually stayed in Jerusalem most of our whole seven days that we were there. And I can see how that could be the, the, the case. The, uh, the stones, the huge large stones that now uh, is the base for where the temple was, are not quite as bright as the walls, but they're a very light, almost a sandstone. And so you have something that is a relatively light-colored stone to begin with that has a little bit of a sparkle to it. When you put the sun on it, I mean, Jerusalem, you go uphill to get to Jerusalem to get to the temple. I mean, people traveling to get there, they're going to see that temple standing out and shining in all its glory from a long distance away. It had to have been a sight to see and something that would have left Anybody, whether it be somebody from the nation of Israel that's coming down for a, a high and holy day or to offer up sacrifice or whatever, it had to have been something to move their heart and move their mind and got them prepared for, I'm going to the temple to offer a sacrifice for what, the, what God has done for us already. And uh, so it, it's, it was at that time very impressive, but I, it was impressive just seeing it uh, when the whole temple was not set up there. Uh, now turn in your Bibles, now that Debbie knows where we are, <laughs> turn in your Bibles to 1 Kings chapter 5. Sorry, I should have let Cheryl know that we were headed over there. 1 Kings chapter 5. Well, let's take a look at that. Let's take a look at this temple that, uh, that he was, was building and what all was in, involved in that. Uh, in 1 Kings chapter 5, we pick up here in verse 15. 1 Kings 5 verse 15. And Solomon had threescore and ten thousand that bear burdens, and fourscore thousand hewers in the mountains. That's a hundred and fifty thousand men. A hundred and fifty thousand men. The population of Syracuse is only a hundred and forty-eight thousand, and that's counting everybody, men, women, children, and everything. So it's more than lived in the in the city of Syracuse. 150,000. But besides the chief of Solomon's officers, which were over the work, 3,300, which ruled over the people that wrought in the ark. And the king commanded, and they brought great stones, costly stones, and huge stones 
to lay the foundation of the house. And Solomon's builders and Hiram's builders did hew them. And the stone squarers, so that they prepared timber and stones to build the house. Look over here, chapter 6, verse 1. And it came to pass in the 480th year after the children of Israel were coming to the land of Egypt, in the fourth year of Solomon's reign over Israel, in the month of Ziph, which is the second month, that he began to build the house. Now, did Solomon actually build the house himself? No, he has these 150,000 people that are involved in hewing out the stones, squaring off the stones, hauling different stuff back and forth uh, that are going to build a temple. But as you read through, and we're not going to cover it today, but if you read through there, several times it says, and Solomon built, and Solomon built, and Solomon built... The, the person that is the most visible gets the credit or discredit for whatever's going on. It's, the, it's, it's true in a church. It's true in a school setting. It's true in a country. Uh, who, who gets the most attention? The president does. Now, we don't. Whoever's in charge, the focus is on them. Generally, not the people that are behind them or the people that are doing, doing the most work. I'm not going to rabbit trail myself here. Verse 7. And the house when it was in building was built of what? Stone. This is a very important part of the message. So in 517, the king commanded, they brought great stones, costly stones, and huge stones. Here it points out the house when it was being built uh, uh, in building was built of stone, made ready before it came thither, so that there was neither hammer nor axe nor any tool of iron heard in the house while it was in building. Look over at verse, or down at verse 9. So he built the house and finished it and covered the house with, be, uh, with beams and boards of cedar. Look over at verse 14. So Solomon built the house and finished it. And he built the walls of the house within the boards of cedar both the floor of the house and the walls of the ceiling, and he covered them on the inside with wood and covered the floor of the house with planks of fir. And he built 20 cubits uh, on the sides of the house, both the floor and the walls with boards of cedar. He even built them for it within, even for the oracle, even for the most holy place. And the house, that is the temple before it, was 40 cubits long, and the cedar of the house within was carved with knops and open flowers. All was cedar, and there was no stone seen. That's the title of the message. There was no stone seen. Verse 19. In the oracle he pre prepared in the house within to set there the ark of the covenant of the Lord. And the oracle in the forepart was 20 cubits in length, 20 cubits in breadth, 20 cubits in height thereof. And he overlaid it with pure gold and so covered the altar, which was of cedar. So Solomon overlaid the house within with pure gold and made the partition of chains of gold before the oracle. And he overlaid it with gold and the whole house overlaid with gold until he finished all the house. Also, the whole altar that was by the oracle was overlaid with gold. And then it goes on and it tells about what the inside of it looked like. Uh, there was no stone seen. Building the temple is very similar to building our Christian life. It starts with 
the foundation. It, it starts with the heart. In uh, First, King, First Samuel chapter 16, verse 7, it says, Man looketh on the outward appearance, but God sees the heart. Why, why am I going to spend just a couple minutes talking about that? Because we cannot see the foundation of these walls. There, there's, there's a cement footing that runs around here. Uh, if we were to pull the paneling off below and, the, and uh, the, the wall down, we would see that there are studs in there that build up, strengthen, and make the wall stable so that there's something to be able to put over it. But it's, it's just wood. It, it's, just a, it's basically the foundation, upper foundation, which supports the, the rafters in the ceiling to, to help hold it up. When the only one that's really interested in what's behind the walls is the guy that built it. Uh, our son, Alan, has a small construction business. And one of the, when he first started in it, his job was a framer. They would frame up the, the church buildings. They would frame up the houses. They would frame up uh, uh, our shed. They framed it up. That was a frustration. Yep. All of you that got a son, you ever had frustration working with your son? There was a time I was in charge. <laughs> Those days are gone. I, I, I get a hold of Alan to, to put up the shed for us. Well, I figured out, I'm not, it's a shed, okay? It's going to house the lawnmower and a couple of tools and, and uh, things like that for, the, for our mini garden that we have. Look, Alan, we're not building a house. We're not building a church. I figured out the bare bones minimum, what I need for flooring, I need for studs, and I need to put up the ceiling. No, Dad, that's, that's not how you build. You have to have uh, two-by-fours. If we were building, a, if we really want something to last, we'd be using two-by-sixes and two-by-eights in, uh, in the ceiling and everything. Alan, it's a shed, okay? It's a shed. It doesn't make any difference. I figured it out. We don't need to go every 16 inches. We can just set the studs every two feet, and it'll save me X amount of money. And then I don't need anything real expensive. I don't even need to panel the inside. I'm not even going to put insulation in it because it's a shed, okay? Uh, I'm not going to get a big fancy door that, that rolls up into itself. It's a shed. Dad, if you want help on this, we need to do it right. Alan, who's paying for this? Dad, do you want my help? Well, yeah, <laughs> because uh, you've, got the, you've got the air gun, you've got the compressor, you've got the air hoses. It's going to go a whole lot quicker than me hammering nails, and we can use that. And then you've got the screw gun and all that that, that, that zip everything. Well, yeah, I guess I do. Then we're going to do it the right way. Three hundred extra dollars of the right way, <laughs> but the only one that, that pays any attention to the foundations are the concrete guys and the guys that frame up the house. You never, other than if you have a a basement that's usable, nobody goes downstairs. Can I see your basement? I just want to. I want to check out. See, and we're thinking about putting an addition on, and I'd like to see what the concrete guys did on your house. No. Nobody cares. Nobody. I mean, well, Cheryl does. 
We need to cover those walls up, Larry. You know, if we put what, what, this half paneling, if we put that down on the bottom, and then you can't just put it down. Now you have to run the trim across the top. And now we've got windows. Well, we don't just want windows. We want windows. And so there has to be trim around the windows. And then you, you, you drywall the top. Well, you can't just have plain old white wall. You gotta, we have to have a color theme for downstairs in the basement, which we've spent very little time in. And uh, then, then we have to have pictures that match the color theme. Now, fortunately, the house that we live in, that was all done for us before we moved in there. And, uh, but we didn't like the color theme that was in the downstairs basement, and I had to do a little bit of remodeling and, and everything. So you still can't see my foundation. You still can't see the studs in the wall. You still can't see the insulation, which keeps it cool in the summer and helps hold the heat in. But there's a lot of work that goes into a foundation. There's a lot of work that goes into the walls. There's a lot of work that goes into putting up a ceiling. It's not half of the labor that goes into putting up a building like that, but it's pretty close to a third if you're working with somebody who's very efficient and has been putting up houses and buildings for a while. Uh, about a third of your time and your finances will go into the foundation of, the, of your house or your building, in this case, the temple. So they wanted it very solid and stable. So we're going to start with stones. I forgot to measure off uh, this morning when I got here. I was busy visiting with people. I'm not sure how far it is from that back wall to about here. Anybody got any kind of wild, wild guesses about how far? The foundation stones that they put in are 40 feet long. 40 feet. Uh, that's not like pouring cement. That's not like hauling some two-by-fours or two-by-sixes into someplace. They're 40 feet long. You, you, when, you, when you go up there, uh, you can go up and see where the temple used to be, and, and there's a mo big mosque up there now. But you can also take a tour where you go down where they've, they've dug out and uh, have a nice tunnel and walkway to be able to go down, to be able to actually see the foundation stones, something that was, was very important. But our foundation, which is also very important, that we take so lightly because as we grow up in the world, and anybody who wasn't saved as a young child, you're listening to the radio, and you're watching stuff on television, and it's all about the heart. He is the love of my life. He is the joy of my heart. And they make all kinds of songs that they sing about the heart and how... You know, I, 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 it's all about pleasing ourselves and our heart. And God says that's the most important part. I, I want your heart. Second Chronicles 16, 9 says, For the eyes of the Lord run to and fro throughout the whole earth to show himself strong on behalf, on behalf of them whose heart is perfect toward him. Proverbs 15, 11, Hell and destruction are before the Lord. How much more than the hearts of the children of men? Jeremiah 17, 10, I, the Lord, search the heart. I try the reins, even to give every man according to his ways, according to the fruit of his doings. God's concerned about our heart. And there in, in, uh, 
In verse, uh, Proverbs 15, it talks about the hearts of every man in Jeremiah 17. It's the heart. How is your heart today? Do you, we even said, uh, they, they did that, and it didn't really seem like they had their heart in it when they sang that song. Uh, they showed up for the game, but eh, they, they really didn't have their heart in it, and they were just kind of going through the motions. So we use that, that regularly, uh, talking about our heart, because not only is it part of the world that we have to get some of that flushed out, but that's where God wants to deal with us, in, is in our heart. In the New Testament, we are a temple not made with hands, uh, speaking of our bodies, which is also part of our foundation. 1 Corinthians chapter 3, verse... Uh, turn over there. Hold your finger here or put a marker there. Turn over to 1 Corinthians chapter 3 and uh, verse 16. 1 Corinthians chapter 3, verse 16 and 17. Know ye not that ye are the temple of God, and that the Spirit of God dwelleth in you. If any man defile the temple of God, him shall God destroy, for the temple of God is holy, which, is, uh, which temple ye are. Then over in uh, uh, 1 Corinthians chapter 6, and verse 19, 1 Corinthians chapter 6, verse 19, he says, What? What? Know ye not that your body is the temple of the Holy Ghost, which is in you, which ye have, uh, ye have of God, and ye are not your own, for you are bought with a price? What? Didn't you know that? Haven't you been paying attention as we've been teaching to you, as we've been, uh, as we've been preaching, as we've been telling you about the things that took place and how it brought us to where we are today? What? Aren't you paying attention? You're just putting any old thing into your body? Uh... Thanks for the donuts. <laughs> Thanks. I don't want to dwell on this point very, very long because I've already, already mentioned Tootsie Rolls. I mentioned Tootsie Rolls in Sunday school and I foolishly uh, pointed it out up here when Brother Dave was, was talking, whatever. Uh, I, I live on sugar. Sugar, caffeine, and barbecue. That, 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 that's my, my, my doctor. I was at my doctor for my annual physical. Uh, now that I'm old enough to qualify for a free annual physical every, every year, he says, I have, Larry, he says, all your numbers have come down. He says, I'm very impressed. He says, what are you doing? I'm impressed. <laughs> I said, well, it's mainly coffee and barbecue is what it is. I said, if you knew the rest of what I ate, you'd be, you'd be shocked. But the truth is, I inherited good genes from my parents that God gave them. There's people in this room that probably, if you, if you lived on what I live on an average, average week, it would kill your blood sugar or it, 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 would, it would cause you, your heart would have palpitations because of the caffeine or something. I mean, to be quite honest, our health benefits, our benefits, as you were talking about, our benefits, that's one of the things that God provides that we don't think about until we, start, until we start having heart trouble or we start having trouble with our blood sugar or our blood pressure or whatever. God blesses us with the health that we have. Yeah, but the older I get, my knees are going. You're not in a wheelchair. You're not laying in the hospital someplace. You're still able to feed yourself, take care of yourself, 
Some of us still enjoy mowing the lawn. I don't have a riding lawnmower for two reasons. I, I don't have a big yard to, we, excuse me, we don't have a big yard to begin with. But I enjoy mowing the lawn. I like the smell of fresh mowed grass. I, I, I just do. I, I, I need the exercise. It's a, probably the most exercise I get all week, other than walking Cheryl and the dog. Uh, it's the most exercise I get in a week, pushing the lawnmower around, which it gives me exercise, but also that is my prayer time. That I started that years ago when we were having a particular difficulty with a situation that and I think I probably even mentioned it a couple of weeks ago. We had the shortest lawn in Oshkosh for, uh, for several months that one year because we were at the end of ourselves with the situation and we're praying and fasting and praying and praying. And so I, I just, I, instead of just going out there and mowing the lawn and stewing and fretting, I used it as prayer time and the Lord used that to help me to consistently have, okay, Larry, here's another prayer time. Set aside. It's not part of your morning devotions. It's not part of just a, a, a few short prayers for a handful of people over, a, over in Eastern Europe right now. Here's some prayer time. This is just you and me out there. You telling me your difficulties, your problems, you bearing your heart to me and be helping to bring back Scripture to mind to let you know I know what's going on. I'm paying attention. I'm working. I'm working in the background. Just be patient. I don't know about you, but I'm not a patient person. I'm just, I work on it. I've worked on it for years. Cheryl's been a big help in that way, but patience is not one of my virtues. But one of the things that helps me to be more patient is to spend that extra, and it shouldn't be extra prayer time with God while I'm doing a simple task of getting some exercise in the yard, mowing the lawn. What amount of time, as you're just around the house, you're not at church, you're not going to a preaching meeting, you're not coming in for choir practice, you're not getting ready for men's prayer meeting, what extra time do you spend with the Lord? Last week, I preached on, uh, is there any word from the Lord? And I encouraged us all in our Bible reading to stick with it. I'm going to run that theme a little bit more on the, on the time of prayer that was brought up and we talked a little bit about in Sunday school. What extra time, and that, see, that didn't even sound right to say extra time do we spend in prayer. What is going on in your life or the life of family or the life of the church that you know I should do more than God bless and heal pastor? God bless and take and help and encourage Alan, Fran, and Roselle. God, uh, would you do this? Uh, Lord, I've got this situation with one of the children. Lord, I've got a major decision I, I need to make. My, my time is about run out on this. Lord, I need a clear path. Brother Dave brought it out. So many times we have not because we ask not. You know why we don't ask? Because we prayed about something two or three times and God didn't do it just like that. And so we begin to doubt. We begin to think, 
Well, okay, God knows it. I, I told, Lord, I told you. We talked about this last week, and we've been talking about this uh, as I mowed the lawn all summer long, and Lord, four months has gone by, and, and uh, uh, he's, I'm assuming, I'm assuming, because I read in my Bible that you're working in the background, and, but it seemed like nothing happens and nothing happens, and so we don't really spend serious time in prayer for some of the things that we really ought to be spending time in prayer on. It's, it's part of the foundation as a Christian and a, and a believer that, that we need to have. What? Know ye not that your body is the temple of the Holy Ghost, which is in you, which ye have of God and are not your own? And then we as Christians and the church are become the temple of the Lord. Turn over to Ephesians Ephesians chapter 2. So we become the temple of God when we get saved. Uh, we need to be work, working on do you want a, uh, Do you want a stone foundation in your house to be made with air pockets in it so it's not a solid cement wall? Or do you want them to do it right? We have to do the, we are to do the same thing with our life. It's not, okay, God, you got saved, now God's going to build you. No, we looked at, uh, it was either in January, I think it was in January when I was here, and we looked over in the book of Jude of all the things that we are supposed to be doing. If you don't remember that, go back and read the, the last half of the book of Jude, and he points out there to us what it is that we are supposed to be doing to build up ourselves in our most holy faith. Ephesians chapter 2 Verse 19, and to know the love of Christ, which passeth the knowledge that ye might be filled with all the fullness of God. Now unto him that is able to do exceedingly, exceeding abundantly above all that we ask or think, according to the power that worketh in us, unto him be glory in the church by Christ Jesus throughout all the ages, world without end. Amen. That's chapter 3, <laughs> verses 19 and 20. Can you... Can you read out loud and, and still think at the same time? That's what I was doing. I'm reading and I'm thinking, that didn't sound right, but that's where I start. Okay, let's try chapter 2 of Ephesians, verse 19. Now, therefore, ye are no more strangers and foreigners, but fellow citizens of the saints of the household of God and are built upon the foundation of the apostles and the prophets, Jesus Christ himself being the chief cornerstone in whom all the building fitly, frame, fitly framed together groweth unto a holy temple in the Lord, in whom ye also are builded together for an habitation of God through the Spirit. So our body becomes the temple of the Holy Spirit. Our, as a church, we become the body and temple of, of, God, uh, of God also. 11.59, let's, uh, let's work on the first, the, the, first, uh, the first point. That was the first point. He's, he said that was the first point. That means there's a whole bunch more to come. Thank you for the clock back there. <laughs> Thank you for the clock back there. The stone is solid. It's a firm foundation. Doctrine, teaching, and preaching, and the working of the Holy Spirit is what firms up 
and makes that foundation. As I mentioned, the, uh, the, the foundation stones that we looked at are actually 41 feet long, 15 feet wide, and 11 and a half feet high. That is, if you can picture this wall, I'm not sure how long that is, uh, and being 11 and a half feet wide, uh, tall, but 15 feet thick. They carved those out of the quarry, and then it talks about the stone squares who squared them off, and they did all this before they brought it to the temple uphill, uh, at least 20 miles from the quarry. There was the uh, 1 Kings chapter 15. 1 Kings, excuse me, 1 Kings chapter 5 and uh, verse 17, and the king commanded, and the, they brought great stones, costly stones, huge stones to lay the foundation of the house. And Solomon's builders and Hiram's builders did hew them out. Can you imagine trying to cut out something that was 41 feet long, 15 feet wide, 11 feet high, 11 and a half feet high? Uh, hew them out and the stone squares so that they pre, uh, so they prepared timber and stones to build the house and then they do this they get them all squared off they're not using things like tools like we have today there's no electricity has been in, created at this point uh, there, there's no power saws they're doing this all by hand and chisel and that's why there's the stone squares and then they finish that all out they actually put it together before they move these, uh, let, me, let me look at 600 tons of one stone 20 miles away uphill to start the foundation. Unbelievable. Unbelievable what, uh, what these guys, no wonder they had 150,000 men working on it. Some of them cutting out the stone, some of them squaring. The stones are so tight together that you can't stick a piece of paper in between them. The, the, wall, the wall that runs around where the base of the temple was, and you, you've seen it in pictures, where they, uh, the Jewish men will go with their head covered, and they will go to the wailing wall. And now that's very well built, and that has lasted for quite a while. And they will, they will come to the Lord to pray, and they will put their specific prayer request in the wailing wall and then they will sit there and they will rock and they will pray over that and several other things and then they leave there get so many prayers stuck in the wailing wall that every four to five months depending upon the season they have to come through and take away all those prayers so there's room to be able to put more prayers in them but you can't do that down in the foundation. There is no room to be able to stick a piece of paper. They are that squared off. I can't even imagine the time and the work that it would take another harder stone to sit there all day and go like this and go like this, and then somebody's going to come along and measure it. And so they, they say, okay, that looks pretty squared. I can't imagine moving 600 tons 41 feet long, two of them together say, eh, I can see a little daylight through there. You need to work on it some more. Then they have to push it back. I, just multitude and multitude and multitude of man hours go into just the foundation of the wall. 
The builders and the stone squares, in my mind, are our pastors, teachers, and parents, the helpers of the truth. The ones that Sunday after Sunday, Wednesday after Wednesday, Bible class after Bible class, devotion at home, devotion after devotion, spend time trying to teach the important things of God, the doctrines of God, to the church, to us, to our children, we teaching our children, so that when they grow up, they hopefully will become a building fitly joined together. The hours that pastors spend in prayer and Bible study to me is amazing. And they, see, I only have to come up with maybe 25, 30 messages a year. I don't have to come up with Sunday school, Sunday morning, Sunday night, Wednesday night, week after week after week. Along with, uh, over at Wildwood, we have Bible Institute. Well, there's another handful of messages that have to be done depending upon the classes being taught there. It, It just, I don't think that most of the time we stop and think about the time spent in preparing a message from God for us to give us a firm foundation. What is frustrating is the people who come to church and say, you know, pastor was okay today, but he didn't have any cute stories. And they come to church for the stories. I mean, they make the message interesting. He didn't have any really good illustrations. Uh, You know, uh, I don't know as I really agree with pastor. How long has pastor been saved versus you've been saved or I've been saved? Uh, You know, we have a tendency, some people have a tendency, and it's usually, to be quite honest, new Christians that they get all excited. The devil's never really bothered them up until they got saved. And then they get saved and they start coming to church. Who shows up? The Mormons show up. The Jehovah Witnesses show up. Their old Catholic friends show up. So they will either try to drag them away spiritually or drag, drag us back into the world from which we came out of before our foundation is even set. The devil shows up with his workers trying to tear down the foundation so that we'll never have a solid building to be able to base our faith on. I've always kind of shied away from the word doctrine. It's so, it's so, such a large, overwhelming word. I managed to cram four years of Bible college into six, because of having a family and working a full-time job and everything. And uh, I, I, I always just kind of got a little bit uncomfortable when they started talking about, talking about doctrine. Doctrine is nothing more than foundation and teaching. Turn over to, I'll show you how important it is. Turn to 1 Timothy chapter 4. 1 Timothy chapter 4. Timothy thought, Timothy thought it was very important. Paul uh, talks about a doctrine several times in the teachings of the First Timothy chapter 4, verse 13. Till I come, give attendance to reading, to exhortation, that would be preaching, to doctrine, to the main thing, the, the foundation of our faith. Uh, 
Look at verse 16. Take heed unto thyself and unto the doctrine. Continue in them, for in so doing thou shalt both save thyself and them that hear thee. Chapter 5, verse 17. Let the elders that rule well be counted worthy of double honor, especially, especially they who labor in the word and in doctrine. Which is, I don't know, I don't know about you. I think of who labor in the word, they're, they're, they're doing Bible study and they're preaching. Okay, they're, no, he says there, there's more to it than just the preaching. There's more to it than just studying, kind of, Okay, how can I put a new spin to get people to understand or to get something new out of the story of David and Goliath? You know, we grow up in church and we hear the story of David and Goliath over and over and over and over. How can I make it more interesting? How can I make it applicable or applicable, depending upon how you speak English, so that people will get something out of it? But he says it's not just the word, but it's the word and the doctrine, the solid foundations of it. You get to you get you take Bible classes uh, whether you go in person or you do online something. They'll talk about the systematic theology categories. Well, you're already talking out of my out of my league. Systematic theology. That sounds like an important class. Well, they talk about the doctrines. There's the doctrine of pateriology. What? The study of God the Father. Why didn't you just say that? You had to come up with a special word. You're trying to intimidate me. Uh, pneumatology, the study of the Holy Ghost. Soteriology, the doctrine of salvation. Just give it to me in plain English, okay? Harmat, harmat, I can't even pronounce it. Harmat, harmat, hamartatology, the study of sin. Don't just make up big words to intimidate me. Just tell me what it is we're going to study. What is, what is the doctrine? What is, what is this important thing? Rabbit trail. Sometimes, I don't think it was done intentionally, but sometimes that stuff is done to make a difference, to set a big gap between the pulpit and the pew. I've been, to, I've been to school. I've got four years of Bible college. I've got a master's degree. Well, I've got a doctor's degree. Great. So you had a chance to be able to learn more and study more and to learn more things from the Bible than maybe we've invested by God, by men that are further down the road that have learned some things that are just going to pass on their information to us at Wildwood Baptist Church, and I think it's the same place here. We try to keep a short distance between the pew and the pulpit. If a man feels called, if a man, uh, God will ask some of you uh, after we leave, will, will you take a Wednesday night for me the, to surrender? Nobody, if somebody comes forward and says, I'm surrendering for full-time Christian service, there's not, well... Okay, you need to go off and get at least four years of Bible college. Now, if there's no Bible college training, that's important. You need to get a good education, but that can be done online. That can be done working with pastor. Some young people, it's easier sometimes for us to just say, adios, see ya, see you at Christmas break. And I think that's good for them. But sometimes some of the stuff that they, 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 they put in front of us, 
I can read the New Testament in Greek. Great. I'm impressed. Go talk to another Greek guy. (laughs) Is there importance in study? Is there importance in learning? Yes, there is. And if I've done anything to hinder my spiritual growth and message preparation, it's that I have not put as much time in outside study as what I probably should have. But it boils down to what really are the foundations? There's five fundamentals. The Trinity. There's one God in three persons. The person of Jesus Christ. He's fully man and fully God for all of eternity. Eternity past and eternity future. There's salvation. It's by grace alone through faith alone, in Christ alone. The foundation of the scripture. It is entirely inerrant and sufficient for Christian life. And the fifth one, the second coming of Christ. Jesus Christ is coming back to earth to rule and to judge. Why didn't you just tell me that to begin with? Why didn't you tell me that when when I'm taking these, these classes every semester, which is what they taught us anyway? Just... Don't scare me with big words, okay? Isaiah chapter 28, verse 16 says, thus, Therefore, thus saith the Lord God, Behold, I lay in Zion for a foundation, a, a stone, a tried stone, a precious cornerstone, a sure foundation. For, uh, Peter takes up that same thought from the Old Testament and he gives it to us in 1 Peter chapter 2, verse 6. Behold, I lay in Zion, as it says in the scriptures, I lay a foundation, a chief cornerstone, elect, precious, and he that believeth on him shall not be confounded, won't be confused. So it's talking about the chief cornerstone, the precious cornerstone, the, 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 the main block that everything else is built off from. It's the Lord Jesus Christ. It's it's him and him alone. Because we pour walls and we pour basements of cement, we don't have chief cornerstones anymore. But I would venture a guess if I went downtown and started looking around uh, and you went with me, you can say, Larry, that building has got a cornerstone. Look at that. They, they, they use these larger stones, but there was a cornerstone. That was the most important stone because if that cornerstone is not set right and it's not, is not framed right, is not squared off right, the rest of the building is going to be off. It's much easier working with wood. The interesting part that we will get to next time is... They go through all this work, hundreds of hours. All these men, 150,000 men to work on these buildings, the foundation to get it all the way uphill, and then they're going to cover it. You'll never see it. It's all covered with wood, which is then covered with gold. Our faith in the Lord Jesus Christ, as we read our Bible, as pastor teaches us and preaches to us, as we read maybe another outside book that somebody has written that that talks about uh, Calvary Road is a very good one. Uh, Robert Robert Roy Hessen. It goes through uh, the last week of Christ as as he's going to the cross and all the things that are tied to that. It gives us the firm foundation 
that we have to be able to base our faith on. Next time we, next time we get into this message, we'll look at the wood and how that is like us, and we will look at the, uh, at the fine gold that is, goes over all of this, that they, they, <laughs> they hide all this work that they spent hours and hours doing. Don't shy away from doing Bible study on your own. Learn, okay, we, not, we may not talk about, okay, tonight I'm going to preach on the doctrine of, don't fear it, just, just realize we're going to look at more of what the Bible teaches to build us up personally, starting with our foundation, our heart, and then our mind to give us a firm foundation for a solid Christian life so we're not like a wave tossed to and fro by every wind of storm that comes along. Father, I thank you for this time you've given to us to look at uh, just the beginning of the building of the temple how the foundation was very important. Lord, as we read our Bible this week, as we talked about in Sunday school, would you teach us something? Would you show us something? Would you give us a Bible verse or some Bible verses that grab our attention, that strengthen our faith, that are a word of encouragement, that, that help solidify us to, to, to give us wisdom for decisions, give us directions for decisions that help us through a difficult time, that give us hope for the future. Lord, would you build us up as we work on building ourselves up through the word of God and prayer. In Christ's name I pray. Everyone standing.